Welcome to Functional Design Enclosure. I'm Christoph Newman. And I am Nate Jones. Each week we get together and discuss a software design problem and how we might solve it using functional principles and the Clojure programming language. So Nate, what are we talking about this week? Well, Christoph, I think it's time it's time to reflect. It's time to to look at the log of our episodes about logs. Wow. Yes, and, yes, uh, it is time to reflect. It is time to look at the log of our episodes. <laughs> yes, yes, it is. Um, <laughs> uh, so, yeah, I think I think it'd be good to. Uh, we've had fun over these past five, six, seven weeks. Well, how many long it's been? Um, talking about log parsing, and uh, and so I think let's let's uh, let's spend some time. Uh, um, uh, Lifting out, you know, the, the lessons we've learned from our logs. Yes. <laughs> what, what do you think? Sounds like, sound like fun? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. Okay. So, um, well, let's see. I, I, think, I think one thing that I think, the, at least the first thing that I thought when I was reflecting uh, was that it's, it's fun to see how closure is applied to um, a non, you know, web app. Uh, a problem domain, you know. I think yes. a lot of times people want to to develop applications, and it's like, well, what what what's 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 your idea for writing an app? Well, it's I want to write a web app because everything's web apps these days. Even mobile device, mobile f- apps are web apps essentially. And right. uh, and so I think it was a it's it's I think it's been fun to to talk about how you know how we would tackle a DevOps problem, which is you know, DevOps is the land of no UIs. You know, I guess the only UIs in DevOps are dashboards. <laughs> Um, right, but I mean, you know, in, in this this problem, no UI, no database, no server process, nothing. It's all just, you know, it's all just a log that we we're going. Well, through. it's our our favorite UI, our terminal based UI. <laughs> oh yeah, yes. I, I guess I, in this case, we don't even really have that uh, so much as I guess it prints some stuff out at the end. <laughs> yeah, true. And I think a lot of times in this in this series, we we were just. Like our text editor was our UI, you know, like instead of right. instead of the command line itself, it was just, you know, it was our connected editor we we're running alongside. Yeah, connected editor. So I guess a first takeaway is that for these DevOps problems where you sort of have this file and you're trying to figure stuff out, that connected editor workflow, like many cases in Clojure, totally awesome, right? I guess uh, go back and listen to the REPL series if you haven't listened to it already. Uh, I think it starts with uh, embrace the REPL. I don't know. We'll link to it in the show notes. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And let us just kind of built up that that original parser, right? Where we take uh, the the streams of lines and we we extract out the gold, right? We're panning for gold through through the log, and so really like testing out the parsing. It it really is an iterative kind of thing, and you want to iterate quickly. Mm-hmm. And so just getting some log lines into the REPL and building up that parser function real fast um, is, is a nice way to sort of explore and then build up the, the set of lines that maybe break break your parser. And you can test them out real quickly. Yeah, I guess I didn't see it quite as a, as a data mining uh, exploration, but that's what it is. You're right. You know, closure is good at data, and so um, when you're when you want to extract data out of something like a log file, it's 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 a very appropriate tool to use. Yeah, 
Yeah, well, uh, since you're, um, you know, forcing it out of me, I must say lazy, you know, lazy <laughs> is, lazy is extremely important. <laughs> I, I, I'm not so eager <laughs> to talk about lazy. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> uh, but, but in all seriousness, yeah, lazy, when, when you have those big data sets, like uh, logs are a great example of a big data set where probably your default memory set settings in Java, reading the whole log file in will cause it to explode. Um, so you're going to hit the point. But it also reminds me of DB cursors. You know, most mm. databases. Yeah. You hit this point where you can't load the entire thing in memory. Uh, same, same idea, right? The idea is you're lazy. You're at some point in the stream of information that's going to be coming off the disk as fast as you can handle it. And so lazy is just such a great, a great abstraction and closer to handle that. But it does come with some downsides. Well, oh, we yeah. ran into some downsides when we were when we were trying to get lazy. <laughs> yeah, we you know, we ended up trying to use the uh, with open, which is a very nice wrapper around. Um, it makes sure that the, the files get closed after after the after whatever whatever body is run. Um, uh, the problem is, of course. Uh, Lazy doesn't actually evaluate anything until you, you know, pull it out. You do something eager, you know, a do all or a, right. or some sort of a into or a, a, a frequencies or any any of the the side of closure that actually um, is eager. If you don't do any of that, then the I/O doesn't happen until 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 that happen until you call that I/O doesn't happen. And so by that right. by the time that by the time you call that function uh, with with uh, with open has long ago close the file yes yeah and so the underlying io whether it's coming over a socket or coming off the disk whatever you're you're pulling in a lazy way you got to make sure it stays open um until you've you've traveled far enough in the sequence to know what you need to know (laughs) but then on the other hand you have to be careful not to get too eager too too early because in the next thing you know, it's going to be pulling in the whole universe and trying to put it in memory. <laughs> <laughs> and that's not as useful as, as for our less than universe sized computers. Yeah. Uh, I guess in Java, you can catch that out of memory exception <laughs> and you can recover sometimes, which is kind of crazy because clearly it had enough memory to handle that. So it it was sort of like a memory threshold reached. <laughs> oh yeah, not not truly out of memory. <laughs> well, it's like it, like in Linux when the when it starts killing your processes because you're running out of memory. Well, the kernel still has memory to figure out which processes to kill. So there's there's still someone out there who's watching the you know watching all the memory for you. Yes, yes, I'm not out of memory, but I'm letting you know you're out of memory. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, so. And then in making in making these things that are lazy, it's I fa- I find it really helpful to separate out functions that take a lazy sequence and produce a lazy sequence versus functions that then aggregate and summarize because those anything that aggregates is going to to be the eager part, right? Uh, a reduce or do all or something, and right. so. So it's nice because then those lazy parts, you know you can compose those, you know you can thread those without getting eager just yet. And then and then when you're ready for the aggregate, you throw it at the end of your your thread there, your threading chain. Yeah, the the, the function that we we 
we got to the point where we basically passed a function in that would do all the processing for us. And so every step of that processing chain um, was lazy except for the last one. We always had to make sure there was a, there was one there, but yes, you wouldn't want it to be you know lazy, lazy, eager, you know, lazy because after right. after one eager, you know, <laughs> you're you're done. It it only takes one eager to <laughs> get everybody unlazy. <laughs> to get everyone up one off task the couch. master, I guess. Yeah. Huh? Get get to work, you lazy you lazy functions. Get to work. <laughs> Yeah, and I think one of the cool things too that we discovered is that, or that we we highlighted was that, um, you know, closure itself has you know a, a a great library of lazy functions, both functions for creating lazy sequences, but also functions that deal with lazy sequences. And so you don't have like a lot of the power that you need when develop when working with data uh, is is there in the library. You don't have to create it yourself. But yeah. then what what we were able to do is using LazySeq, we can actually make a new function that kind of fits in with those. It's a it's a peer. It's it, it's the same level of map or filter or you know any of those any of those lazy trans uh, transformation functions. Um, right. Sometimes you can just make your lazy function takes a lazy seek and produces a lazy seek just by using closure core. But we ran into a fun case where Closure Core wasn't going to help us. We, we were trying really, really hard with our look ahead and all that to, to just stick with Closure Core functions. But in the end, we needed to actually produce our own lazy seek, <laughs> you know, from the ground up, so to speak, using the lazy seek uh, helper function. Which is in core, actually. So we did use well, yes, in a meta way. <laughs> yes, I guess uh, verbs that operate on sequences, as opposed to a verb that helps you make a sequence <laughs> from, right. from from uh, from the air, <laughs> the underlying IO. Yeah, and I remember the first time I tried to use lazy seek, I was very confused. It just helps me to remember that the lazy seek function you just wrap that around uh an expression or a block that is going to do one of two things it's going to return nil because you're done or it's going to return a sequence <laughs> and that and the first item in that sequence should be immediately available thank you to cons and uh or it returns a sequence by recursively calling itself to you know get it another lazy sequence so at some point in time, it's going to run into a sequence that isn't lazy, and it will find that thing. So I don't know. It, it was a little hard for me to understand, but it helped me to just break it down into it will return nil or it will return a sequence. And that's what it will do inside that inside that code. Yeah, and and thanks to closures dependence on or the the one that one unifying abstraction. Um, because sequence is like a you know get me the first and get me the rest, it, it it won't actually call the rest until it needs it. I remember I remember right. I, I just to to echo what you said to reflect back what you said. I I it was it was many months before I made my first lazy seek, um, because it again it was confusing. You kind of didn't really understand. You know it's it's you're you're basically creating something that is self realizing or something like that and. Um, but yes, to to say you either return 
a sequence or I'm I'm done or the or the, the two the right. two returns. Yeah. Yeah. So most of the code I end up writing will evaluate to is there some kind of when block, you know, so it will be nil if if it's done. And then inside the when is um Either either it's going to have a cons because it it has an element in its hot little hands it can put in there right now, <laughs> yeah. or it's going to be cons on the the rest of the lazy seek, or it's just going to be a recursive call to 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 skip this thing and move on. the The other thing that I have enjoyed about this series is it is a great example of moving up like the information hierarchy. Like you're, you're like you're, we're, we're going from, if you will, bits (laughs) to characters, right? And from characters to lines, but all that sort of happens for us kind of for free. Thank you, Java and closure. And so we, we get to get involved at the lines level and we get to, we get to move from lines to more meaningful entities. And so we, we had this idea of a parsed line, you know, so there's like string lines and then, and then we had this idea of a log line, which we we parsed it, and right. and then from log lines we went up into errors, and and so the idea of writing these parsers or these recognizers that can take a sequence and and emit a new sequence that's a, at a higher level of information, you know, this is this is like the bread and butter of working with. Uh, data processing in 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 closure. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah, it, it, it's something we first explored back in the um, in the the time log series that we had earlier, uh, which we'll put put a link to. Um, but yes, again, we're going we're, we're elevating the, the the data up to the level. We're, we keep pulling it up to the level that we need. Um, that we that to which that is useful uh, for us to use it to to actually uh, make decisions. Like most of the time, we ended up with with er- at the error level, but we could have gone farther. And and one of the the cool things is every e- between each of the levels, you know, between lines and parse lines, between parse lines and, and errors, it's they're all relatively straightforward transforms, and they're all pure transforms. They're all things that we can test. That we things we can we can rely upon. Um, and then, and also, we can we can make them so t- such that they only operate on the data that they need. Um, something we kind of explored later in the last episode was we actually had to change one of those levels, one of those up levelings, right? Yeah, I like to think of it as sometimes you have to go down before you can go up again a better way. <laughs> reminds me of oh, interesting. Reminds me of rock climbing. <laughs> Reminds me of when I'm painting and I need to reposition the ladder. <laughs> oh, drat. I can't reach that that spot I thought I could reach. And yeah. and we uh so we we pre-abstracted a little bit for our log line because because we weren't looking at sections of the log where the message portion got printed out on multiple lines. Exactly. So now all of a sudden we needed to consume all these extra lines. And 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 those didn't fit our preconceived notion of what a a parsed line should be, and so so we went uh, and made those keys optional, which which is kind of a neat thing, right? In closure, 
to think of to think of a map as a bag of dimensions as opposed to a record like a field if uh, you've listened to Rich Hickey's talk maybe not he kind of talks about the idea <laughs> of of treating things more like a set as opposed to a whole bunch of like slots that have to be there whether data fills them or not you right. know staying away from slot oriented programming and 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 maybe Maybe things like the maybe sheep or the the maybe line or the maybe time. Yeah, if I go to a restaurant and I I'm like, oh, uh, is this beef? And they go, it's maybe beef. <laughs> oh no, it's mystery beef. I don't want maybe beef. Do you want maybe beef? <laughs> no, I can barely say maybe beef. <laughs> so why do we want maybe things in programming? Yeah, it's like slot oriented programming. It's a great way of putting it. And the idea is functions can look at the part of the map that they that they know of. And using spec, you can ensure, uh, you can write some some rules to ensure that those parts are are present, or you know, of your functions going to produce the parts it's supposed to produce the right way. And then do a lot of testing to to uh, validate the behavior. And so so just the idea of relaxing that preconceived notion. Using this this big concept of the map as a as a more flexible flex, flexible bag of dimensions, and then functions can just work on the parts that they know about. Yeah, and I think it's one of the ways that those dimensions come out is um, every 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 time we we level up the data, we add a new set of dimensions. Like for instance, at the beginning we had just the line, and then you know, in our in our relaxed version of that, we had everything is a map now, and it has you know raw slash line. But then some of them have other have other bits of information, and then the next level we up level it again. We say this is a three fifty seven error or a sprinkle error, and we add more keys. And so at each level, we at each higher level, we don't we don't throw away the old data. The old data is still relevant and valid and useful. Um. But because each one has its own dimension by using namespace keys, we are able to keep all that data, you know, co-located at the same level instead of having using nesting or whatever. Yeah, namespacing the keys really helps me um, with my programmer urge to like replace values <laughs> or to mm. to have these like minimalist record types, you know. The idea is, like you're saying, you you just continue to amplify the map with more and more information, because why not? Uh, thanks to uh, persistent data structures and structural sharing of these immutable data structures, it's not like you you have a copy of the data at all these different levels. Um, it's sharing a lot of things, and so it it just gives you more things that you can filter on, more things you can reduce on. Um, yeah, yeah, it's and, it's a it's a really nice technique. Yeah, and then and then and we we've we've done this a couple of times in our non-podcast code, but I think it'd be useful here too. Is if you get a bunch of like you're in a, you're grabbing a bunch of three fifty seven errors, so you're filtering at some high level key, but then you go, what's that data actually look like? Well, those records actually have that raw data in them too, so you can you're not losing any of the lower levels of detail. You still have that lower level introspection. If you want to like crack open the, the, the log as the raw line and be able to look at it and and maybe make a different decision about that. 
you know, as a human. Yeah, we d- we didn't do this for the sprinkle errors that were just two lines. Like that was a fun problem going from an error that only existed on one line to an error that spanned multiple log lines. And we had to go search ahead to find it. But mm-hmm. what we could have done is we could have then collected those raw lines too and and just set raw lines, like set a key called raw lines, you know, that had the list of all the lines that were used to divine the sprinkle error. Oh, and yeah. yeah, yeah, you know, just just save them. Because why not? Why why not keep the context as as you move up the hierarchy, especially in this kind of situation where it really is like a distillation process. You're you're recognizing something and then moving up to a higher level, and then you recognize something there and you move up to a higher level. So so you, so you have all the pieces all the way down to the the bytes. Yeah, just because you distill doesn't mean you want to lose essence. Yes. <laughs> the best distillation is uh, stronger. <laughs> Not weaker, right? <laughs> yeah. For sure. And so I think if I were to just step back and, and do a, kind of a broad brush, this really gets into one of the key, key ideas is having a sequence of things at a certain level of information. Like the, like closure and functional programming is just built on this. This is bedrock. And so you're going to have functions that operate at that level of information, verbs that tell you things, help you de- define, find truth at that level of information. And then you're going to have uh, verbs and functions that help you recognize patterns and produce a new higher level of information. And those are going to take sequences and produce new sequences. Right. So you're always going from like sequences to sequences, um, either at the same level or, or, or moving levels, or you're going from a sequence to a summary, you know? And so when you, when you kind of internalize that, it, it helps you think like, okay, uh, you you start namespacing functions by their level of information. You start naming things like, oh, this this function is like a, it's a parser or it's a recognizer, um, whereas other things are like summarizers. And, and you can start to get some of that vocabulary around those concepts. And it makes it easy to come into the code base and, and, and have all of these tools at your disposal. Yeah, and I, th- I think one thing it also does is... I. I I've always been one to like jump to right to the the end. Like, you want to know how many three fifty seven errors there are? Well, I can find that out in one big blob function. But but the the, the closure mentality, like you said, of of making these these smaller steps, um, really help you kind of take a break and 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 take a more methodical approach to it, and end up with you end up with much more useful data uh, because usually the answer that you get the first question, like the like the 357 error we had at the beginning of the, this series, uh, it led to more errors. And so you're going to want to do more parsing and you're going to want to do more recognizing. So starting from the bottom level and building it up in these small incremental bit, uh, uh, pieces really helps um, helps you keep your exploration flexible. Yeah, it's just, it's a good habit to start to form. Yeah. Uh, if, you, if you don't form it intentionally, don't worry, it'll get formed because closure... <laughs> One of the things I ran into when I started programming in Clojure was because of the just the Lisp syntax and kind of the nesting, 
you know, writing like very linear code, mm. it, like code every time you need to define a new variable, you have a let block, you have another layer of nesting, you know, and, and I was just used to just pulling variables in willy nilly. And so closure, uh, the syntax just very much encouraged me to, uh, write separate functions instead because I didn't want seven or eight levels of nesting. <laughs> yeah. And, but if you do write that big one shot function, that's fine. You can refactor it later too. Don't worry. You, you'll probably need to. <laughs> it's okay. I, I promise yes. that you'll, you'll get there and it'll be fun. Yeah. Well, this series has been a lot of fun taking yeah. a look at uh, de the DevOps life, log parsing, leveling up information, all that good stuff. Um, so yeah, we hope you have enjoyed listening to this series. Of course, if you uh, if you want to tell us all about it, reach out to us. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, one of the things you can do to help the podcast is you can go leave us a review in iTunes and uh, tell us what you think there. I suppose if you, if you like it, tell us what you think there. If you don't like it, send us email. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, oh, yes. so, so Michael left us a review, uh, recently and he, he wrote for a fun and enjoyable chat about software architecture for those new to functional programming. This is a great way to start rewiring your brain. Two guys talking about the way they'd solve a problem in code. Sounds like it should be about as interesting as listening to a recitation of an open source license. <laughs> and yet Christoph and Nate always manage to keep it engaging. The two have great chemistry and an easy rapport that makes every episode feel like you're a fly on the wall of a software design meeting. Yeah, thank you so much, Michael. We appreciate that. Um, yeah, thanks. It has not occurred to me to uh, recite an open source license out loud. I guess we could always try that. <laughs> I think we should recite the, uh, the source code to Closure Core. That'd be fun. Oh, no. <laughs> There's a lot of verbs in there. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, That's thanks true. for your review. So uh, if any of you else uh, out there enjoy listening to this podcast, go leave us a review. We appreciate it very much. It's a great way to help the podcast. Yeah, yeah, it helps other people find us. Uh, we also like hearing from you in other non-review ways. So you can email us at feedback at closuredesign.club or on Twitter at Closure Design. You can uh, also find us on the Closurian Slack. We'd love to hang out there. We have a fun conversation going on there about closure programming. Uh, our channel is the Closure Design Podcast channel. Just Google Podcast. Just search, not Google. Oh, search podcast in the Closure and Shack, a Slack channel list. I think you'll find it. And you can also find our show notes and past episodes on the web at closuredesign.club. Yeah, and you'll find those nifty links from this episode there. You can back to the past episodes that we referenced in this episode. <laughs> okay, well, we will be back next time with a whole new thing to talk about. Until then, we would like to wish you the best. May your logs overflow with useful information. <laughs> <laughs>